Hey, senorita, really nice to meet ya. Have some tequila, I'm this week on Squats and Margaritas, it's an author, creator, badass mom, Christina Kuzmich. I just finished her book, Hold On But Don't Hold Still. It's now out in paperback. Guys, she has been through everything. Sexual assault, divorce, miscarriage. She was living on food stamps at one point. She worked for Oprah. And she wrote this story about her life, how she overcame. There's so many great parenting tips. It's so authentic, funny, and real. We had the best conversation. I can't wait to share it with you. And the Squats and Margaritas podcast is now brought to you by Flow Alkaline Spring Water. It's my favorite water. I drink it every day. It's got all kinds of naturally occurring electrolytes, minerals, um, different flavors. If you haven't checked them out, go to flow, F-L-O-W, hydration.com, and use Squats and Margaritas 20 to get 20% off your order. Here is my episode with Christina Kuzmich. Hi! Hi! We had a chat about this book that I finished today, and I did that intentionally so that I didn't forget anything, and it was all still in my mind. So good, Christina, and... I saw today on your stories, you said you wanted to, this to be for others, what you needed when you were at your lowest. And I wrote a book, was not as big as your book, but it was exactly why I wrote mine. Um, I disclosed like all the years that I had depression and bulimia and anorexia and nobody knew about it. And I wrote it for the woman that is in it now and can find this book. And that's what drew me to you. You have so many tips. Wait, what is your book called? Uh, Squats and Margaritas, A Journey to Finding Balance. Um, I'm going to need that book. Okay. <laughs> I will, I'll send it to you for sure. I just want to start, before we get into all your tips, because there are so many of them, your story, like, this is obviously a book of hope, and it doesn't matter what you're going through, you have gone through it, and, I mean, you came from a war-torn country, you're in a, like, shrapnel from a grenade came through your bedroom window, you've gone through miscarriage, you've gone through sexual assault, divorce. You were on food stamps, and, like, you have built what you've built. So I wanted you to start with, like, your story. You came here when you were 14 to the U.S.? Yeah, my freshman year of high school. Ooh, so we came basically, basically because of the war. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because of the war in Croatia. And then never planned on staying. Um, hmm. So once everything settled, my parents, my sisters, everybody went back. And I'm the only one here. Um, stayed, got married, and then... Um, Ended up divorced, obviously, it's a way longer story than that. Yeah. But um, when my kids were three and one and a half, and I just, I didn't want any extra drama. I was, at that point, just so overwhelmed that I decided to tiptoe out without fighting for anything. I didn't want to go back and forth in court, and so I asked for nothing. And because of that, I ended up um, completely broke. I couldn't rent an apartment for just my kids and I. So we rented just one little room that we shared, and then there was a roommate in the other room. And I slept on the floor for a while until a friend gave me a bed, and I was on food stamps, and, uh, you know, my rent was late every month, and the landlord was like, hello, eventually I'm going to have to kick you out. So I had, like, a piece of paper with every homeless shelter in the area written down because I didn't want to, I was too scared to end up on the street with two toddlers. So anyway, Mm -hmm. very stressful time, sunk into a super deep depression, um, genuinely contemplated suicide and something that I write in the book that is so important for people to know because there's so much judgment around depression and all that. Um, You know, we hear parents, you know, we hear of a celebrity who happens to be a parent 
and commits suicide. And so often the first thought is, how freaking selfish. They have children. How selfish. And I'm not justifying it. I don't think suicide is ever the answer, obviously. Uh, I'm glad I stuck around. Me too. Um, and, and, and think about, like, anybody who's watching this and has suicidal thoughts and feels like it's permanent. I was there, and I now love my life. And there's nothing more special about me than anybody else. So, yes. but, um, but what I want to say that I think is important is that in my mind at the time, I was literally convinced that my children would actually be better off without me on this earth. They would be better off if they didn't have a horrible loser of a mom that I thought I was. I wasn't, but that's how I saw myself at the time. Yeah. Um, so it didn't feel like a selfish act. It felt like I'm giving my children a better future if I'm gone, which is you have to be in a hell of a lot of pain to even think that way. Yep. So anyway, um, and then like you said, I've been through sexual assault. I've been through miscarriage and all of it. And eventually got remarried and started making silly videos just to try and like make my friends who are moms feel better about their life. And it blew up into something bigger than I ever expected. I still kind of pinch myself every day and can't believe this is my life. But um, but I think we all, like you said, you know, we all have a story to share. You have a story to share. Mm-hmm. And so my hope is that through everything I create, that people who watch who are now at that place where I was can go, well, if she can do it, if it wasn't permanent for her, it doesn't have to be permanent for me. I just got to keep taking those baby steps forward. Yes, 100%. And you went a little fast past something um, that involves Oprah. Oh, right. Uh, that happened before, <laughs> before you went viral, um, a little, uh, I don't know if anybody's heard of her, um, Oprah hired you on a reality show. So that was, that was so nuts. Okay, I start, <laughs> I get married to my current husband, and he was like, Christina, you've been in survival mode. Like, you've, just, you've literally just been in survival mode trying to, like, not be homeless trying to raise these two kids, trying to pay your bills. What do you want to do? Like, he saw the creativity in me and the humor, and he was like, what do you want to do with that? And I was like, I don't know. And so he handed me his car keys and said, I'll take care of dinner. I'll take the kids to bed. Just go. And I write in the book how sometimes you have to get away from the noise in order to hear your heart speak, and that's so important, especially for parents to know, because we are just like, does this kid have his shoes, and did I make this sandwich? Like, it's all just going, 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 and it feels like noise. And you forget about you. So he got me away from the noise. And I drove around for five hours until I basically started running out of gas and came back. And I said, cooking saved my life, which is a whole other big story you guys can read about in my book. But cooking for strangers saved my life. Because when I felt like I had nothing to offer, I decided to focus on what is the one thing I'm still confident in, even when I hate myself. I know I can make a great meal. And so I decided to focus on that, and it saved my life. And so I said... Because cooking saved my life, I'm going to make these silly little cooking videos. And I'm going to call them sticky cook because everything in my life is sticky. My relationship with my ex is sticky. Finances are sticky. My kids are sticky. Even literally right after getting out of bath, somehow they're still sticky. You know, everything in my life is sticky and my favorite foods. So I make these little videos. Complete stranger contacts me on YouTube. I My videos had like 17 views. I mean, it was not that it weren't going viral or anything. Like mine. And, this random, no, this random stranger um, contacts me and says, you should enter the Oprah competition. And I'm like, well, I know Oprah is, but I have no idea what you're talking about because I did not remarry for money. So my new <laughs> husband is in school getting his master's, and I'm still barely, you know, making a waiting table. So we didn't even own a television set. 
at the time. And so she sends me the link. I decide we put together my little sticky cook footage. I send it in. And like 10 days later, I get a phone call from Mark Burnett, the guy with the does Survivor and voice and all that mm-hmm. big producer. His production company was doing the show. I get a call from one of his producers and, you know, we're interested. And then within a few weeks, I'm literally face-to-face with Oprah, and it's down to, you know, whatever. Anyway, I made it to the show. It was 10 contestants. Got there, could not believe I was there, and end up winning the whole freaking thing. <laughs> honestly, just saying it now feels like I'm lying. I know. I'm going to have to go back and look at that footage to, to, to tell myself, no, that yeah. really happened, Christina. You did. You had hot dogs in a parking lot with Oprah. I did. <laughs> I, I ate hot dogs with Oprah. <laughs> no one can take that from you. Okay. I think the most, the greatest part of it is then after that, I'm jumping in on your story. Um, they make your show, and then they changed everything about what your show was, which was the reason they wanted you in the first place, and then it didn't get renewed. That's television. But like, and you knew it. That's the thing too. I wanted you to talk about. Like, you knew who your audience was and what you wanted to make. And you didn't speak up for yourself, obviously, as one doesn't when it's Oprah and all her team and you mm-hmm. feel like, you know, you're just a mom on YouTube. But yeah. then what happened after you started doing it the way you thought and trusting your gut? Yeah. Well, okay, first of all, I do want to say this, and I'm not contractually obligated to say this. I'm saying okay. this from my heart. Uh, Oprah was not – no. She was not the reason it didn't turn out. In fact, she's the one that after I won, like, grabbed me by the shoulders, which made me, I was like, don't pee yourself, Christina. Don't pee yourself. Oprah's touching you. Um, and said, I, just be yourself. Stay yourself. People will try to change you. And then ironically, I, the network and, you know, all the TV execs get involved, and they didn't like my life is crazy personality. You know, I was like, let's do a cooking show where my kid is throwing a tantrum in the background and I have mascara smeared on my face and, you know, Cheerios in my hair and I'm just trying to get dinner together and it's burning. And they were like, no, we don't do that. No, you have to be a professional, an expert cooking show. And I'm like, but that's not what, I didn't even have an audience or following back then, but I just knew you knew a stressed out mom like me did not want to watch any more perfect people. I hate you. Yeah, I'm tired of perfect people. And so, um, yeah, they turned me into this ambush cook who ambushes people and goes, you don't know how to cook. I'm going to pull you into my kitchen and teach you my ways, which is so far from my stuff. And, um, and then it didn't get renewed, and I actually am so glad it didn't because I find, and I've heard, I'm not going to mention names, but I have a few friends who are celebrities, and they have fallen into that where you are put in a box and then the paycheck keeps coming, and the show keeps getting renewed, and you're like, this this is not my box. Yep. This is somebody else's box. I don't fit in this box. It's an uncomfortable box. I don't like it. I feel like I'm a fraud. But you know what? It's paying the bills. So I'm going to stay in the box. And thankfully, you know, I don't know what would have happened if they were like, we're going to renew the show. Would I have had the balls to go, no, right. even though, you know, I'll, I'll go back to waiting tables instead of being a TV star. So thankfully it got canceled. And then I went from meeting to meeting uh, with different production companies, met with Food Network and Cooking Channel and all those people, and basically it was always like, we love you, but could you tone it down a bit? Could you do this? Could you do that? And thankfully, and I really owe this to my kids, and they were little at the time, but I just always thought of my kids and I thought, my kids are going to learn more from how I live my life than what I yap at them. And my children need to see me go, no, you're going to take me as I authentically am. 
And that doesn't mean I'm not willing to learn and grow. Right. But the core of who I am and my passion, my purpose, you don't get to mess with. I stay authentic. And then you right. take it or you leave it. And they decided to leave it. And I was like, that's fine. So a couple of years passed, and I just thought, I'll just make my own little videos because it was fun. Started making my parenting videos. And you know what? I I make a better living now than I did doing that thing. <laughs> I love it. And you followed your gut, and you knew, and no one would stand up to, like, that kind of, like, you were on, you had a reality TV show, you've never done that before, so even if you thought it wasn't right, and like you said, it could be paying the bills, you kind of go along, yeah. even knowing in your gut that's not the thing, and then as soon as you trusted your gut, what was it, stretch marks are sexy? That was my, one. Yeah. yeah, my first video, and it came, every, most of what I create, well, everything I create comes from my own experiences, and I wasn't even, so... I get remarried, all this stuff happens, and then my new husband and I have another baby. Mm-hmm. And when he was born, my one of my best friends, Zach Anner, follow him, everyone, he's amazing. Zach Anner, um, who I met through the whole Oprah thing, he comes to the hospital to meet the baby, and he hands me a camera, and he goes, you have put your passion and your creativity on hold because nobody wanted you the way, you know, the way you are. Do it your own way. And that camera sat in the box for 10 months or so, didn't even open it. And then one night, everybody in my house is asleep, my shirt is up, I'm breastfeeding my baby, and it's one of the last times I'm going to breastfeed him because I'm weaning him, and I'm never, you know, I've decided I'm not going to have more children, so this is the last time I'm going to experience this amazing thing. And I look down at my stomach, and it's just like a road map to hell. Like, it is just covered in stretch marks. Right. And I look down, and I'm like, Ugh. Oh, my gosh, I hate these freaking stretch marks. I have so many stretch marks. And then all of a sudden it hit me. Like, there is legit milk shooting out of my nipples. Been there. Keeping my child alive. Like, I have magical nipples. But I am distracted from the magic that is my nipples and and my amazing body because of this silly insecurity. And then immediately I was like, dude, I know I'm not the only one. I know I'm not the only one. Next day, turned on the camera, made my first video, did pretty well, made another one, made, you know, just stuff that I was like, I'm, it, I kept going back to, I know I'm not the only one. I know yep. I'm not the only one. And um, it just, again, it just blew up into something bigger than I ever expected. But for anybody listening, authenticity. I have never succeeded anything, and I mean this. I have never succeeded anything when I wasn't being authentic. But that, it's so scary to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, authentic and vulnerable and like that moment that you just shared and I again like I shared secrets that nobody knew about and it was scary but isn't it it's like empowering it's so powerful once you put it out there and then it resonates with someone and even if you don't feel anything like someone else doesn't feel alone because you shared that yeah and it's it's like now I almost feel like I don't know if you feel this way like a responsibility to the women that have reached out to me and been like, me too, or, mm-hmm. you know, I, you're the first person I told that I had an eating disorder, or I, you were saying the same thing with your sexual assault when you were a kid. Yeah. You finally told someone, and people reach out to you, and you're like, I, they feel safe with you. And then you have this tribe of women that is connected by something bigger, and I, I feel a responsibility to those women to, to, like, keep going and being authentic and putting stuff out there so that no other woman feels alone with any of the stuff that they're, like, sitting with right now. Yes. And that's why I seriously think even if all of the numbers and, you know, business requests or whatever, even if all of it went away, 
Yeah. I would be at peace with the path I've chosen to keep creating. I would keep creating stuff, even if I had five followers, even if I had two people tuning in. Because it's never, nothing's ever felt so right in my life. Like, I feel like I am living in my purpose, and I don't even, that's why I, I so often tell people, do not get distracted by the numbers. Some people are like, oh, how many new followers do I have? How many new views do I have? And I definitely got sucked into that early mm -hmm. on, and it just, I feel like it all just becomes that noise that distracts you from, but why am I doing this in the first place? Yes. Why am I doing this in the first place? I never what made you interested for numbers, so why not yeah. for numbers? Exactly. But you just feel like you're putting it out there and it should be growing, so people get frustrated and they talk about the algorithm. And, but you yes. talk, like, think about not how many followers, but how many direct messages you have from someone that got that book and that you spoke to and you changed lives. And I know, we both say this, like, I'm not an expert. People think I'm like a trainer. No credential. I'm not a trainer. I'm not a nutritionist. And I wrote like a wellness book. But it's not about being an expert. It's about just, like, connecting with someone and making them not feel alone. And I think you said that, too. Like, you're not an expert, but your parenting advice is expert advice, especially for someone that I have a two-and-a-half-year-old and a, a five-year-old. And, like, I'm already writing down stuff for your teenage advice. Like, <laughs> I'm doing the yeah, but. Like, we're going to get to all of that. But you are an expert. To, like, to someone like me that is not there yet and hasn't gone through it, what made you go ahead and decide to just, like, make it a book? So I actually never had, like, this thought even of writing a book. Um, mm -hmm. English is my second language. I still sometimes right. get insecure about, like, certain words. Like, I don't right. know correctly. My husband still makes jokes when I, you know, use the wrong saying or I have an accent, which I shouldn't by now. I've been here long enough. But anyway. Um, and then literary agents started approaching me because of the numbers, right? If she has a big following, people buy a book. That was a thought. And I yep. just thought, no, 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 I mean, you know, I, I can say it in a video. And then I started thinking about all the emails I got from people or Instagram messages, and it was like, I've never told anyone this, but I'm really struggling. I'm having these suicidal thoughts, and how did you do it? How did you go from those thoughts to where you are today? Or how did you survive, you know, not feeling like it was your fault after miscarriage? Or how did you, like, all of it. The question of how kept coming up in these emails. And when I first started, I was, like, writing back to everybody. And then eventually it's 100 emails, and you just can't. And I would lay in bed. I literally had to, like, seriously, like, be my own therapist and go, you do not have a right to feel guilty for not replying to everyone, Christina. It is impossible. Your family needs you. Anyway, and then all of a sudden it clicked with me. I'm like, that's what, I, that's what my book should be. It should be my reply all. That's how I see it. It should be mm -hmm. every email anyone's ever written me asking, but why did you make this decision? Or how, how did you know you're ready to date again after divorce? Any, any of it. What made you want to live after you were ready to kill yourself? Um, and so when I wrote, I really thought about all of those people that have written me and haven't heard back from me. And I was like, I'm just going to put it all in my book. I love it. And it's, it's not even just like, I don't want to make it like it's a parenting book. There's so many like life little nuggets that I wrote down, like all the failures that you have, you could see as failures. You, you don't accept no for an answer. You see it as a challenge. And it's just like, no, okay, well, what, how am I going to fix that? Like, yeah, I wrote down failure is a lesson, not a verdict. And how everybody wants something like a quick fix, but when you yeah. get it quick, you don't learn a lesson in it, and it's like not as satisfying and as significant as if you had been through the struggle and then earned something, and then it means more. It, you're yeah. making me look at everything differently. Oh, I'm so glad. Well, that makes me happy. And to be honest, like, 
everything I've written in my book, it's not like, you know, we use that word expert. I'm definitely not an expert. And I still struggle with some of those these things, and I still fail. And, like, just you mentioned failure. Just the other day, I actually told myself, which is, like, a quote from my book, you know, failure doesn't have to be the end of the sentence. Mm-hmm. Put a nice, bold comma on that thing and continue right on. And I, the other day I was like, it's a comma. That failure is a comma. It is not a period. It's not the end of the sentence. But to me, I'm a very visual person. So to me, literally picturing up, you know, failure and no comma, I'm like, okay, I know. I can keep going. <laughs> I got it. Exactly. And that almost motivates me more. I'm like, well, let me figure out the way I'm going to succeed now. Exactly. Second book. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, you're a mom of three. Do you have two teenagers? The two older ones are teenagers? Yes. Uh, my daughter's turning 16 in a couple of weeks. My son's turning 18 this year. Oh, my God. <laughs> More tequila, please. And, uh, then, and then I have a first grader, a little six-year-old. Oh, Ari, right? Yes. Yes. I, uh, there are so many great parenting tips here that I wanted to get into. Like, I love dipping in disappointment marinade. Not staying in, but doing it like a marinade. Can you share that little... Sure. So I'm a recovering pessimist, and I will be in recovery forever. I don't think I will ever just naturally be an optimist. And so I compare, you know, what I used to do, I would marinate in my misery. Anything bad that happened, I would literally marinate it. And then, again, because I need visual things, I started comparing it to um, when you marinate chicken. And think of your misery as the marinade. Um, and if you put that chicken yourself in the marinade and you just let it sit there for days, you're going to turn into poison. That's what's going to happen to that chicken. It's going to turn into gelatinous poison. Uh, but at the same time, we need to let ourselves feel what we feel because suppressing our feelings is not the path to healing. You will never heal if you suppress your feelings. So to me, I see it as I'm going to take a dip in that marinade of misery. I'm going to feel what I feel. I may call a therapist. I may vent to a friend. I may journal. I may just whine to my husband for 24 hours. But mm-hmm. after that time in my marinade, I'm going to remove myself, wipe it off, and I'm going to move on because I don't want to turn into gelatinous poison. And that's literally what's going to happen to your joy if you sit in that marinade. So, again, I feel like people go to extremes. They're either just going to marinate in that misery forever or they're like, I'm just going to put on a smile and, and move on. No, feel what you feel. You are human. You are not a robot. Feel it. But then move on. And so uh, you mentioned, yeah, but before. Yeah. Well, this son is very much like me, pessimist. He's just starting his recovery. Um, <laughs> and when he was little, I noticed and I was like, oh, I don't want him to grow up and be, you know, I was so negative in my 20s and I don't want that for him. So I created this game where every time they – my kids would whine about something, they were unhappy about something, I would say, okay, let it out. I, w- I want to hear it. I want to hear everything that's bothering you. Good, good, good. Yeah, let it out. And then once they got it all out, I'd say, okay, now, yeah, but. And then they'd have to add something positive. You know, so I think the example I give in the book is, you know, we were in the car and my son was complaining. He was little. We lost our soccer game and I'm so mad and the ref was unfair and blah, 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 blah. And I said, all right, do you feel like you got it all out? Yep. Yeah, but. And he said, yeah, but we have another game next Saturday, and I love my teammates. They're awesome. And it's just such a simple little way for, to remind kids that there is a positive. Not every day is good, but there is good in every day. And also, it leaves you. It's, it's the end piece, right? You get it all out, but then you finish it with the good. And I think whatever we finish it on will sort of linger. I also love, um, when you talk about your kids in their car, it made me think of the um, – 
you have them play out the other person's perspective, like to teach them empathy if they're fighting about something. Yeah. You make them like role play the other person's side. So this is this honestly I feel like we should make politicians do this. <laughs> this, is, this is also really great for marriages or any relationship. So my kids would, um, you know, fight about something, and I'd say, okay, now you have to switch roles. So, Matea, you have to argue Luca's point, and Luca, you have to argue Matea's point. And what would happen is, A, the anger would immediately be gone, because it's hilarious for my daughter, for example, to have to argue why they should watch football all day when she hates football, and she's having to be like, yeah, and he's having to argue why Taylor Swift is the best singer ever when that's not his type of music or whatever. And so, first of all, you end up laughing because it's just funny. So immediately it, like, you know, puts everyone at ease. And second of all, if it is something more serious, it helps you go, oh, now that I'm having to argue that point, I, I see where they're coming from. I may not still completely agree, but at least I see where they're coming from. It's basically literally walking in the other person's shoes. So marriages, when you're having an argument, you can't agree on a solution, what to do, argue each other's points. Yes. Yes, like in every aspect, politics, marriage. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about the balancing, too. So we both live with balance. I'm squats and margaritas, you're raw kale and sprinkle donuts. Um, but also the parenting balance. Like I I talk to my husband all the time. I said, well, he won't listen, my two-and-a-half-year-old. He's like, because you're always playing with him. Like I'm the funny mom. <laughs> I have a hard time. He's like, he doesn't know when you're being when you're playing or when you're being yeah. serious. And you said it's a balance of your strict and fun, and you have to kind of balance the two. So I thought, I think of, if somebody asked me, what is your, what type of parent are you? I would say I'm the fun, strict parent, uh, which sounds contradictory. But I believe that rules are important. I believe that children are actually happier with some structure and rules. In the book, I compare it to if you show up to a new firm, you just got a job, and you show up to this big company first day of work, and there, no one is there to say, okay, this is where you need to be at this time, and this is when we have a meeting, and this is the, you know, how we handle this. If you didn't have somebody giving you those guidelines and, you know, sort of walking you through this, having, you know, knowing what the consequences are if you don't get your work done on time, it would actually add more stress to your life, right? So I believe in rules. I believe in consequences. I, I, I want to raise kids who are not entitled brats. But at the same time, just as much as, I'm a, as much as I'm a rule enforcer, I believe I need to be a fun enforcer. And what I mean by that is life is freaking hard. My children, as much as I want to protect them from every pain and every chaos, my children will go through hell days. All of our children will go through hell days. They will have days where they will hit their rock bottom, and we're not going to be able to fix it for them. And what I need them to know is how to find the joy in those days. I need them, even even when it's not a rock bottom, but life is just hard, how to play pranks and how to, you know, find the humor. I say in my book how for me, going through life without humor is like eating soup with a fork, right? You're still going to get a little out of it, but you're going to miss out on so much. So trying to just teach my kids, yes, life can be hard and exhausting, but you know what? You can wake up and whine that you got to wake up early, or you can blast your music and start with a dance party or whatever it is. So we celebrate half birthdays at my house. Yeah. You know, we, we play pranks on each other. And I just think it's important to – a lot of times we parents just think, I need to teach them to brush their teeth, and I need to teach them to obey this rule. Let's also teach them to find the fun. The next thing, you talked about um, not labeling your kids and telling them what they are, but letting them show you. Mm-hmm. I – it, like, hit me so hard. She's my first. She's five. I've never done this before, so I'm always like – I didn't realize that 
what I was saying, or if I'm saying it to other people, how shy and, like, timid it, well, that was mm-hmm. very shy, but typically, if we yeah. walk into a new situation, it's, like, fingers, and and I will say she's shy, and I don't know that she's paying attention, and then, like, one day she was, like, oh, I'm just a little shy, and I was, like, I'm, like, telling her that she's shy, and that she's, like, living out this role of being yeah. shy, and you shouldn't, I hate that I did that, and you need to let them show you who they are, and not tell them they're shy, or they're whatever, but I think, I think we've all done that, you know, so I think the the point is just to be aware of it. And I write in my book how I would introduce my daughter as she's the shy one, she's the shy one, she's the shy one. And it was when I decided to take that label off and not say that, all of a sudden the girls auditioning for plays in school, like things that I never – it was almost like it's the label she was given and so she wore it. Yeah. And once we took it off, she could really be her authentic self. Um, and I write in my book how, you know, I was always told – I was too loud, I was too hyper, I was too sensitive, I was too curious, I was too talkative, too, 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 too much. And when you're told you're too much, it leaves you feeling like you're not enough. And so I always thought, if I just can change those things about myself, if I can be less loud, less hyper, less curious, if I can just change all of that, then I'll finally be happy and successful. And instead what I had to realize is, that all of those things that were labeled as my greatest weaknesses were actually my greatest strengths. All of those things were labeled as this is not good enough and this you need to change. Those are actually your superpowers once you learn to focus them. And so um, I really – my dogs are out here barking. Hi, dogs. Oh, hey. Um, (laughs) We've got dogs. I know. It's real life. It's real life. (laughs) Yeah. So – yeah, I just think it's really important to, you know, in my book I compare it to when you go to, see, we all have our ideas when we get pregnant or we decide to adopt or foster. We have this idea of what parenting will look like and what our children will look like and what they'll be into and all the activities we'll share with them because we'll have it in common. I mean, like the typical, the dad who's like, my son's going to play football with me and then son's like, nope, I'm not into that. Um, and so the way I compare it in the book is like, we don't show up to a play a brand-new, never-before-heard-of play, and we sit there and we go, well, I expect every character to this, and this is how I want the scene change. No. We show up to the play completely open-minded, and we let the play tell the story, and hopefully we let it really affect us and change us and teach us, and that's how I see parenting. Get to know your children. My job is not to tell my children who they are. My job is to, for, to listen, pay attention, and get to know them. And then... Whatever their strengths are, whoever they authentically are, now I have a job. Now I know how to guide you. I'm not going to tell you who are, but now I know how to guide you. And I think it's making me think now, like, the mom shaming stuff. Like, you just try to be the best mom and you try to compare. And it's, you're, it's not a comparison. Mind your own motherhood. Oh, look, I'm wearing my sunscreen. <laughs> it's so true. Like, and then you were saying, I'm so glad you said this, because it's like nobody says it. The people that are shaming you, have something going on within them. And yeah. I still do this. And I, my following is like a 1% of yours. So I can't even imagine, like, looking at, like, the comments and stuff that you get. It bothers me when someone makes a comment or, like, I, I don't know. I still have a hard time with that. But you just have to understand that, like, hurt people hurt people. And someone that's confident is not going to leave you a comment like that. And it makes you yeah. just almost, like, feel bad for the person that said it because, they're obviously triggered by something you're doing because it's something within them. And So did you read the the suitcase part? 
Yes. You, you can't pick up their suitcase, too. Again, I live on visuals, right? Yeah. So the way I, I, I would get these horrible comments. I mean, it went from everything that was, like, silly. Somebody kept went on every single page on my social, like, every social media page <laughs> to say that Christina pretends to be authentic, but she's not. You're lying to your followers, Christina. Why don't you tell them you were born male? Like, from back <laughs> Oh, they said it was it's obvious by your jawline. And, of course, I run to the mirror, and I'm like, my jawline. It was everything from, like, silliness like that to, to comments that would say, you should have killed yourself back then. Your kids would actually be better. I mean, just horrible stuff, right? right. And so when I first started, I would stay up at night, and I would go, you know what? I'm going to respond to that person, and this is what I'm going to say. And I'm, like, thinking of the comment, and, and yeah. I mean, just really exhausting myself with this. And then eventually I got to the point where I realized they are, we're all carrying our own suitcases, right? We all, all got our stuff. And they are so unhappy with the way their life turned out. They have so many unhealed parts of their life. And they are so miserable and so insecure. That is their suitcase. And they think that pain is like dodgeball. And they're going to take that ball of pain and they're going to throw it at me or at you. And it's out of their hands. So that's not how it works, right? So basically, I would literally, every time I read a negative comment, I would picture them either throwing that bottle of pain or handing me their suitcase and going, here, here's my suitcase of all the things I'm unhappy about in my own life. Carry it for me. And I used to be like a bellhop. I was just picking up everybody's luggage. Like, yep, yep, I'll take that. I'll, I'll spend all night unpacking your suitcase, keeping myself awake. And now yeah. I will see it, and I literally picture a suitcase, and I go, I'm not picking up your suitcase. That one is not my suitcase. I got my own baggage that I got to deal with, with my friends and therapists and everything. I'm not picking up your suitcase. So think of it that way. Every time you get a negative comment, 99.9% of the time, it has nothing to do with you. And the 0, 0, whatever, point one, I'm bad at math, percent, that there might be some truth to it, you know what? People are going to, if there's something genuinely they don't like about you, Yes, you are a flawed human. You're not going to be everybody's cup of tea. I mean, not everybody likes bread. I don't even yeah. understand that. <laughs> bread is not amazing and that I don't want to make out with it every day. Yeah. So it's your love language. Yes. It's just realizing how much of it is really not personal. I think things affect me. I'm just going to share that to go deep here. I have things affect me because, like I said, I'm not a, um expert in anything. I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not a fitness trainer. So it's like when someone checks me, I already have this thing where I'm like, well, if someone like would get hurt when they do a, an exercise that I give them, like I, I always have to be like, I'm not a, I'm not a trainer. I'm not a nutritionist. Yeah. But this is how I, because my whole story, after I finished the anorexia and bulimia for 10 years, I finally got in the best shape of my life after I had two kids and I lost 20 pounds and sustained it through two pregnancies by doing things completely different than I was before. Lifting heavy, eating all the time. So my purpose in writing the book was to show someone, A, if you're in the throes of bulimia or anorexia and you feel like you can't get out because it does take over your whole life, you can. I did it. And to the woman working out and that is doing cardio seven days a week and eating salads like I did and is not losing any weight, here's a different way to do it. Yeah. And I recently had an eating disorder, um, the CEO of an eating disorder foundation on my podcast because I was like I want to just talk about eating disorders and how prevalent they are and let's just like break it down and I ended up learning that I'm not as healed as I thought and now 
I feel like everything that I say, like people were like, well, you're still, I'm not practicing the behaviors. I'm not anorexic. I'm not bulimic. I eat when I want. I don't overeat. I don't binge. But basically she was saying that my whole goal living this balance is to maintain my weight. Mm-hmm. And she's like, is that what you're doing? And I was like, I am living this authentic life. I was like, yes, I lift heavy and eat often to maintain my figure. And she's like, it's more like you're happy because now you're finally in your best physical body. And if it's about that, then you're not really healed at all. And I was like, so now everything I say, I'm like, but I don't really know because I'm really not healed. I, I didn't, I don't do this anymore. But so now I'm so like, it's something within me that if I get like a bad comment, I'm just like, well, it's because I don't know what I'm talking about. Like, I didn't know what I, please. <laughs> no, 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 I was just going to say, but here's the truth. We are all flawed. We yeah. all have unhealed parts of us. That's why there was this one big website that wanted to hire me to be, to like write a column for them, and they wanted to call me their parenting expert. And I thought, like it made me cringe because I fail. And I'm not exaggerating. I fail every day. In yeah. fact, sorry, I'm going to change that because I, I have changed. I always tell people, you're not failing, you're learning. Right? Mm-hmm. I don't have all the answers. I still have parts that I'm needing to heal. Same with you. Same with every single person. That's why I, I and I, and that's honestly why I think people get so turned off by these experts on TV who are just going to tell you how to live their life. Because I guarantee you, all of those people go home. That marriage expert goes home, and they have issues in their marriage. Because every marriage does. And people who are healed from any kind of trauma, sexual trauma, you know, eating disorders, whatever, we are still all in the process of healing because we can never reach full perfection because we are human. We are not robots. We are human. For me, you telling your story while you're still in the process of healing is so much more powerful than you sitting on top of some mountain going, I'm here, you're not, you know, here's how to get here. What's more powerful is you holding somebody's hands side by side instead of I'm here, right, and going, I'm still struggling, too. I mean, that's why I so often talk about, like, I'm struggling. I'm struggling yeah. as a parent. I still struggle with, you know, pessimism. I still struggle with all kinds of things. I think that is so much more powerful. And so, you know, not to give you advice because, you no, know, you didn't have for it. But, I but I want, yeah, embrace, embrace that. Don't, don't let the fact that you're still healing, that shouldn't be an insecurity. That is a strength. That is a strength. Because that makes you more relatable. That makes people go, thank you. Thank you. I, I don't have to worry about her looking down on me. I don't have, you know, she yeah. is me. She is me. And that's what people want. Right. And both of us, like, put our books were, like you said, you wrote it for the person that was in it. My intention was that person that thinks you're never going to stop those behaviors. Like, I just want to help someone get out of it and show them how I did and because I'm just now learning, like, a year after putting the book out, that I'm not out of it, um, and I still have a fat phobia I'm learning about, even though I don't really want to be – it's not fat. I don't want to be skinny. I want to be strong. And I want right. to, like, build muscle. And it's, it's so different than what I dealt with. So I didn't even, like, equate the two things. And she just made me realize that your language, it's like yours, and I finally lost 20 pounds, and here's how you can lose the weight. She's like, that is where it shouldn't – you should be happy at any weight. And I was like, okay. And she said, if you had not lost weight and finally figured out this balance, would you have written the book? And I was like, no, ma'am. I, I wouldn't have. And she's like, that's the thing. So now I almost want to do like a second edition. I call it Squats and Margaritas, A Journey to Finding Balance. 
and now I want to call it a journey. The journey continues. Like, Love here's it. what I wrote, and it could still help you, but here's everything I've learned since I put that book out. And like you said, I'm still in it, and we're all in it, and nobody's an yeah. expert on anything. But my intention, like your intention, was just to help that person that's still in it give them hope. Yeah, and you probably helped a lot of people. And I wish that I wish that we wouldn't look so down on growth. Everybody, you know, we post these cute quotes about growth and how great it is and we all need to grow. But then when somebody does grow, when somebody does go, oh, I just had another eye-opening thing and it might contradict something I said before, we attack them for it instead of going, yay, this is this should be celebrated. You're growing. You have a new insight. You have a new view of something. That's amazing. And don't you dare feel bad for something you didn't know until you knew it. Yeah. So I, I just think we need to celebrate that instead of knocking people down for it. Thank you. That's amazing. Um, I'm looking at the time. I, again, with your parenting strategies, you said how um, you get a baby shower, but you don't get a teenager, a teenager shower, which you should get. And I am far off from the teenagers. I need to know more about that, about what's coming there. And anyone that's listening. <laughs> um, drink. Okay. Yeah, drink. Just drink up. Seriously, I, I don't understand the baby shower thing. Because think about it. Nobody gets knocked up because, oh, my gosh, wouldn't it be so fun to have a hormonal teenager who will constantly <laughs> roll their eyes and criticize you and slam the doors? That, that sounds so fun. Let's get pregnant. Like, nobody thinks that, right? And, and also, I would say that most parents go, my teenager will never speak to me like that. My teenager will, oh, no, no, no. I'm going to raise him with these rules and he will not. Speak. Okay, you are living in fantasy land. Yeah. Now, every kid is different, so, you know, if you have that one teenager who's perfect and you're listening, grab throw yourself a freaking party, okay? But um, but teenagers are, here, here's one thing I keep, there's a couple things I keep reminding myself of. The only thing I think harder than parenting a teenager is, is being a teenager. Yes. And so I often think, like, this is hard for me. I think my heart is for them. It is a confusing time, especially, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad there was no social media when I was, you know, yes. a teenager. My almost 18-year-old still doesn't have social media because my rules, as I write in the book, I don't do by age. Like, you turn 16 and you get this. Or you turn 13 and I look at, are you ready? Yeah. I don't care what age you're, are you ready? And if you're not ready, then it doesn't matter what age you're, you don't, because there are some 70-something-year-olds that shouldn't be on social media. <laughs> and then there's some 13-year-olds that are mature enough to be on social media. So anyway, um, but the, the probably best piece of advice I have gotten and incorporated and that has helped me is to talk less and listen more. Because what happens is we start to parent out of fear. And when you parent out of fear, then when your child starts to open up and they go, so I was at this party last night, you immediately go, what party? Who was there? Yeah. Was there drinking? Was there drugs? What? How'd you get home? Who was driving? And the kid's like, ah, I'm not talking to you anymore. You're annoying. So what I've learned to do, which is very hard for me because run-on sentences are literally my workout, but I've learned to just shut up. And it's, I, it's hard for me. It's, it's actually, like, it actually hurts me physically. Yeah. But just shut up because you can't fix something if you don't know a problem, the know, know the problem. You can't help someone if you don't even know what's going on. And you're not going to know what's going on if you're not really listening and really paying attention. So just that, just every time I want to parent out of fear, I want to, you know, 
accuse or question or whatever, just quiet and listen. And man, all of a sudden you're like, oh, I understand. I understand that this behavior is coming from pain or fear. You know, often we, when we look at teenagers, we just go, I can't believe how snobby he is to me or the attitude he's having or why is he raising his voice or why is he doing this? Instead of what is the root of the problem? They're not doing it for nothing. There's a root of the problem. Are they stressed? Are they confused? Are they scared? Are, is something happening at school? It, there's so much stuff. And when you get to the root of the problem and you can start healing that, then the other stuff will get better. Yeah. But you have to deal with the root. It's so, like, the perspective, though, because, like, I, I have two toddlers, and I was like, ugh. I mean, I've been quarantined since March with a two- and a five-year-old, and I'm like, this is just, like, I just wish they were more self-sufficient. And then you hear you talking about that, and it's like, my daughter is just hiding under the table because she wants to be with me. And I go, yeah. I'm just going to cry. <laughs> That's going to end. Yeah. And I'm not being, like, cognizant of that and being present in the time like they want to be with me now like what what year does, does that stop and they kind of just want to do their own thing like well they all they all have their own timeline so i'll tell you this you know i don't want to just like I, i'm i'm making teenagers sound like they're just horrible human beings and they're not they're they're just they're in that transitional part to their adulthood where yeah, it's holy hard. crap but when they do get old, and it's like it's almost like they have to. They have to create their independence, and that's how they do it. And that also it makes it makes us it makes it easier for us to let them go <laughs> because we're ready to <laughs> let them go. So I think it's all made the way it's supposed to be made. But I'll tell you this: when my oldest son, who has definitely been my biggest challenge, when he is, and not just now that he's almost 18, but even two years ago, when he randomly comes up to me out of the blue and just gives me a big hug, or, you know, it was about a year ago or so, I'm sitting in the living room, I'm like, oh, it was late at night, I'm like, I'm so tired and lazy, I don't even feel like walking to my bedroom, and he just walks over and picks me up and carries me up. Like, when those moments happen, they mean even more. There are some beautiful moments of, you know, where you can sit with your teenager and you talk about life and... They teach you things, and they give you a new perspective you never thought of. I mean, the amount of just political conversations my teenagers and I have had in the last, you know, year or so, and they would say things, and I'd be like, I never thought of it that way. That's amazing. Just seeing them develop into adults is also seriously a beautiful thing. So it's not all that. Okay. I I feel like I set you up for that, like making it sound like teenagers are so bad. Well, and – I, I taught my kids how to do their own laundry starting at 10, so that'll be, you won't have to do your kids' laundry. Your teenagers, guys, if you have teenagers and you're doing their laundry, or, or they're not using the dishwasher or anything, I've always said, if they know how to press buttons on an iPad yeah. and their cell phones, they know how to press buttons on a washing machine, a dishwasher, a dryer. So give them some buttons to press. Yes. Perfect. Yeah, <laughs> 10. Writing it down. She's doing it at 10. Um, I, this isn't specifically me, but anybody watching, you had such great advice to co-parents and how you're co-parenting now, uh, with your ex. And I thought the jet lag day was such a cool thing that you mentioned. Okay. I wanted you to share that. Sure. Co-parenting. So my kids, um, now the teenagers kind of do what they want because they're older. Um, but when they were little, it was very strict. They would spend the week with me and the weekend with their dad. And... 
I my house is very structured and there are rules and they they've always had chores. Even little Ari that broke in here, he knows before he gets screen time he has to do a chore. So there's it's just you know there are rules. And at their dad's house there was no chores and you know it was just different environment, right? And so they would come back Sunday night and Monday it was like, hey, no no no, you know you have to ask before you do that or well you didn't finish this and it was just and I was getting so irritated. And, you know, snapping at them. And then all of a sudden I thought, my gosh, that's got to be hard. I never grew up in a divorce home. But it has got to be hard for a kid to go from one set of how we run the house to a completely different way we run the house. And now we have to switch. And they didn't ask for this. They didn't ask for their parents to be divorced. They didn't ask to go back and forth. They didn't ask for any of this. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to make Monday jet lag day. And you know how when you have jet lag and it just takes you a little bit to adjust from one time zone to the next? Mm-hmm. I'm going to give this. And it doesn't mean they can, you know, act like crazy animals on Mondays, but I'm going to give them more grace. Just a gentle reminder, like, hey, don't forget to do this, okay? Love you. Instead of, you know, they know this. They know better. So um, that's been really, really helpful. I mean, it changed everything. And they didn't even know that. It was more for me because if I told them, they would have taken advantage of it. <laughs> it was just more for me. Like, it's jet lag day. More grace, way more grace. <laughs> right. um, I'm just looking at the time. I, I feel like I got all my parenting stuff in. It, your line, give yourself more credit than criticism and more grace than judgment, is just something that everyone needs to hear because we all, we're all so hard on ourselves. We all compare. It's not a comparison. It's not a comparison, and also, why do we dwell on all the negative things or the negative thing that happened in the day and not all the wins that we had? We never think about that. It's only yeah. like on Instagram. You don't look at all the positive comments where people are like, you're amazing, you've helped me so much. It's like that one comment. Yeah. You only think about that one. Like, Why do we do that to ourselves? I made a video, and it's one of the shortest videos I ever made, one of the simplest videos I ever made, and yet, to me, it's one of the most powerful. I'm st- and it, the weirdest thing was, and this has never happened to me before, it came to me in a dream. And then I woke up and I called my production team and I was like, I want to literally recreate exactly what happened in my dream. And in the video, and it's exactly how it happened in the dream, I'm standing and there's two empty jars, glass jars. Okay. And all of a sudden with the voiceover, you hear different people complimenting me. You're beautiful. You're so smart. You're so creative. I love your videos. Blah, 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 blah. blah. And it's just, and it gets, the jar gets filled with these M&Ms with all these positives. And then there's one voice that comes on and says, you're not good enough. And one M&M goes in that other jar. And you see this full jar and this one M&M. And I look at the one. I push the one full of M&Ms. And I take that one and I hold it to my heart and I walk away. That is exactly what every single human being does. Yes. Yes. And most of us on a regular basis. And that is that whole idea of you got to give yourself more credit than criticism and more grace than judgment. I'm telling you right now, to me, that is the best sleep advice, by the way. You want to sleep better? <laughs> instead of, when you lay down, instead of thinking about your long to-do list and, oh, I planned on doing this and I didn't and I was late to this. Look, forget the to-do list. When you lay down, it's too late. It's too late to fix it. So don't, don't dwell on the negative. Why don't you instead focus on the ta-da list? So, yeah, <laughs> I got up. I fed my children. Maybe it was chips and salsa for dinner, but you know what? It was a rough day. They still uh, ate. It's okay. I peed, maybe even in private. Woohoo, go me. But those little things that we overlook, 
They are big things. We are keeping humans alive. We are doing a hell of a lot of work every single day. And we don't even give ourselves any credit. If you actually lay down in bed and you, you focus on the ta list instead of to-do list, I guarantee you, you will sleep better. Love that. I feel like we should end on that. That was so amazing. <laughs> <laughs> you are, I thank you so much for doing this. I can't believe you're here. It's really exciting. Um, what state do you live in? I live in Virginia, like right outside of D.C. Okay. Well, if I never, once I'm back on tour, if I'm in the area, we got to connect. We should do lunch. I would love to. I would love to. Please stay in touch. Um, so, and everybody knows that Hold On But Don't Hold Still is out in paperback today. So Hold on. I have a, this is the hardcover, and this is the paperback. Yeah, it's a new cover. I've seen that. I and they took the picture from the back. Oh, I didn't And put it on the cover paperback. You know, Christina, I listened to it on audiobook because when authors do their own, like, audio their own book, and it's not, like, a different person, they narrate <laughs> audio. Yeah. They narrate their own book. It's just, like, if it's your story, I want to hear you tell it. So I did the audio, and I loved it. And I love how, like, passionate you get when it's supposed to be because I could be doing that in my head, but I loved, I listened to it on audiobook, and I loved it. Thank you. But it's now out of paperback, I'm sure, everywhere. Are you going to be writing another one? Right now, I'm actually writing a children's book. Oh, my gosh. That's cool. Yeah. I want to, I want to, all those things that I needed to heal as a child and even all the lessons, you know, that I'm sharing with adults, I'm like, what if we started giving those lessons in a fun way to kids so that they're already prepared to be authentic and to give themselves more credit and more grace? Like, let's start young. Yes. I love it. And it. I'm sure everyone here already follows you, but just in case somebody isn't, where does everybody find you? So everywhere at Christina Kuzmich, K-R-I-S-T-N-A-I-N-A-K-U-Z-M-I-C. And I just joined, very reluctantly, I joined TikTok. That's the only place my handle's different. It's at I am Christina Kuzmich. I have not posted anything yet. Okay, follow me. Because I don't know how. I'm going to inspire you. Squats and margaritas on TikTok. I, I do a lot of mom, like, mom trending, mom um, would understand kind of things. Like, if I see one that's, like, mom reality kind of thing, I do that one. Um, I, if you're not into it yet, I would, like, stay away because once you get into the rabbit hole that is TikTok, you just, I mean, hours will go by. You just can't stop. Oh, and, like, there's so many, like, funny things. Then you got to, like, save the ones you want to do and then. It's like anytime I do a makeup or anything, I got to do a TikTok because I have makeup on and I never do. <laughs> like, I, you're almost like safe where you're at now. Like, once you get into TikTok, it's so addicting, but it's so fun. So I, I am just Christina Kuzmich on TikTok. Yeah, and everywhere else, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and YouTube is all at Christina Kuzmich. I might just have to, like, hire one of my kids' teenage friends and be like, run this for me. Don't post anything too crazy. We need your content, though. It needs to be you. Uh, no, it will be. Like, it will things. be. Like, I feel like I have a talent of learning something. Like, I can watch something that's like a minute long and watch it like maybe like ten times and then perform it a minute. I remember it. So I just started taking that to TikTok. And be like, I got that's awesome. Like, I'll watch it one time and be like, if something resonates with me, like it's definitely going to get recorded. I'm going to do it. Or yeah. like. TikTok is so, here's, like, you need a tip from me. That's No, I do. I do. Did I say that? (laughs) Um, So, Instagram, like, I I feel like TikTok is different. TikTok is not so much funny. It's relatable. I did Mm -hmm. a TikTok of me bringing in the groceries because I will not make two trips. Like, I will not. doesn't matter what happens. Like, I'll just put them all 
And then that's me too. You hit the button and then you do the dust because the things come down. (laughs) And I just did that and it was like a million. Like it went viral and I was like, that's just how I take in my groceries. So then I started thinking every day, what are just like some things? And then I did one where I went to my, who's going to make me sound like an alcoholic, but I went to my, I was pretending to be at my doctor's office and they're like, how many, uh, do you drink? Do you smoke? And I'm like, no. Do you drink? Uh, socially. And then they're like, how many alcoholic drinks do you think you consume in a week? And you're like, past. And I just said past. And it was like how I really feel because I'm like, I don't know, should I really say it? Yeah. <laughs> that one went viral. And I was like, so TikTok is basically just your life, like relatable life moments. I have found um, more so than like trying to do like a big comedic performance. Yeah. Okay, that's good to know. Yeah, that's relatable. Very, that's very helpful. And that's who, what you are anyway. Just be you. Just be you in any, in any area, any genre. Just be Christina, authentic, and it will be gold. Thank you. And I definitely also want to put some food stuff out there. Yeah, like, oh my God, cooking, cooking recipes. recipes. And do you use Reels on uh, Instagram for food stuff? I started to a little bit. I honestly, I suck <laughs> at all that. Nobody got time for that. It's too, I, I don't like technology. It's too much. <laughs> it. It, anytime I'm making a recipe now, I just put it on the reels because if you're making it anyway, it's just like you just take a picture of the steps and then you put it out. You put oh, a song smart. on it. So anytime you put a ring light on it and then you put a song and it only is videos though. So I made a mistake of like taking pictures of each step. Yeah. Reels has to be a video. So you oh, okay. have like two seconds of a video of every step like chopping. And then you put a song on it, send it out. Yours will be like viral in a second. Amazing. Yeah. And then all your video, all your the recipes will be in your reels. So then yeah. people can just like go to your reels. It's just like TikTok. It, reels is TikTok for Instagram. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, I'll have to find you on TikTok. Yeah. It's a squash margarita. I'll learn from you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll follow you too. Thank you so much, Christina. Of course. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Squats and Margaritas podcast. If you haven't subscribed, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And I'll see you next week for a brand new episode of Squats and Margaritas.